Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Um, well, good morning, everyone. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the leaders here, and uh, I haven't been up here in a while, so you can imagine the adrenaline that's coursing through my blood right now as I'm trying to remember, is this where I stand? Did I wear underwear today? Are my pants zipped right now? I'm wondering, I'll like, go through all the mental things that I, I have to go through when I get up to preach. Um, but here's the important thing. Um, uh. I have a whole bunch, I have like three pages of notes and uh, I don't want to talk about them yet. I want to um, speak to you as a friend, as a pastor, and just to tell you this, that, um, that Jesus is the main thing for us. Um, and if he's not the main thing for you, uh, he needs to be. And if he's not the na- main thing for me, he he needs to be. Like, I love the worship. I love everything. But when I get up to talk, my desire is not to just bring comedic relief to your weekend. I want to bring that. But not just that. I want, I want to introduce you to Jesus. I want to reintroduce you to the one who loves you more than you could possibly love yourself. I want, I want to spend time just opening God's word and allowing the Holy Spirit to some way just change us today. So... It's a big sell. Um, I don't take it lightly, and um, I'm a bit um, anxious to, to get started. Um, when I was a young Christian, uh, a, a young Christian meaning I came to faith when I was 25, 26 years old, um, and I was in the church for a few years, and someone came up to me and said, hey, hey, bro, uh, what's your life verse? And I'm like, when do we get one? I don't know if we're supposed to... <laughs> Did I, for, I didn't sign up for one. I don't know, right? And, and so, like, immediately, I'm like, life verse? I don't know what a life verse is. Anybody familiar with a life verse concept or idea? I know it's like a Christian culture. It's basically this, like, if you're a believer, like, like there's a verse in the Bible that maybe God has um, illuminated to you that has been very helpful to you, and no matter what situation or circumstance you find yourself in, this life verse sort of centers you or brings you back or reminds you of a promise that God had made, maybe to you or just to his people in general. And the life verse is something you hold on to. So this guy asked me my life verse, and I didn't have one, so I thought, i got to go get one. So I started reading the Bible, and I ran across something in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, that I want to put on the screen for you, that this was my life verse for a moment. And maybe it's some of yours right here. It says, God is faithful. Amen? And he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And so, as a young Christian, I remember feeling the tension of trying to live the life that God had wanted for me, but I also had a real strong desire to do what Jeff wanted to do. Anybody else? And oftentimes, temptation would come. And oftentimes, I had the decision, like many of you, to go this way, to honor God, bring glory to God, to go this way and do whatever Jeff wants to do, which might not bring glory and honor to God. And that temptation was difficult for me. So this, this verse was an anchor for me to remind me that God can strengthen me and allow me to get through this crossroads decision moment 
Because God can give me strength. He can give me the ability to bear through this, that I won't struggle or I won't fall into temptation. And for many of you, that would be a good life verse for some of you. I won't point anyone out, but maybe that's where you're at, and that's okay. Uh, maybe another life verse is something like this. This is a really popular life verse. I'm giving these out for free. You can take these if you want. It says this, I can do all things through him, Christ Jesus, right, who strengthens me. That it is Christ, God strengthening his people through Christ Jesus. This is that coffee mug verse that you see like on coffee mugs or you see it on um, Hobby Lobby art. Nothing wrong with Hobby Lobby art, right? And it's, it's something you might even see in, in gyms around, at CrossFit gyms or something. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me as if it's talking about physical muscles. It's not. <laughs> it's not. It's talking about something altogether different. It's talking about something spiritual. It's talking about God using his son Jesus Christ to strengthen his people to embolden them, to stiffen them, to bring resilience to them in some way or fashion that would be beneficial or helpful to their Christian walk. And so verses like this are real helpful to me. But here's what I know, and especially this last year or so, I have found that life is very, very hard. I may be the only one. And in fact, life is uh, wearisome to me some days. In fact, sometimes it's all I can do is just to get up and get going to work or get going to mow the grass or get going to do something. Just You feel tired and labored. And yet I look at these verses and it says, but God is supposed to bear me up, supposed to give me strength to endure, supposed to be able to help me go through life together. And I feel like there's this um, unsettledness between the two pieces, that they're actually at odds with one another. Does anybody else feel this way? That sometimes you feel like God promises to do these things for you, yet your life experience is like the exact opposite of what maybe the Bible promises. I think we live in that tension a lot. And the question is, why? <laughs> why are we living in that tension? Well, let me just say this. I think sometimes God loves to use tension in our lives to reveal things to us. That there's some, sometimes when you look to scripture and go, but I feel like I should be stronger in this situation, but I'm not, right? Because life is just mowing me over like a tsunami wave every other week or whatever. But, and, I, and there's this tension between what God is saying, I, I could live the abundant life or whatever, and, and my life experience. And I'm just saying this, that that tension sometimes God will use to push you in a direction. God will use to bring to surface something that God then wants to deal with. So just because you're not living the life that you think you are promised in the scriptures does not mean that God has abandoned you or left you. In fact, he might very well be using that conflict or that tension to show something to you. And I have to admit, I deal with that an awful lot. I know this, that last year I embarrassingly admit that I, I was probably one of the few people who was thankful that the world shut down for COVID. My life was running so fast and whatever. When, when they shut things down, I was like, finally, right? I was able to do puzzles with my family. I did, I did painted the kitchen, which was overdue to get painted. I did a bunch of things. I, I just rested for a while. And I have to say this, it took a long, long time for me to find my strength again. Like it, it, it's been many, many months since I've come back to church. Am I finally starting to feel strong again? And I want you to know that those two verses that Paul wrote there, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 10, 13, and Philippians 4, 13, that Paul is talking about a strength that God can give to us. But the question is, how do we get this strength? 
That's my push today. How do we find ourselves um, emboldened or bolstered up or buttressed or, or strengthened in the things of God? How do we find ourselves held together when we seem paper thin? When we feel like in a moment's notice this whole thing could just evaporate or blow away? How does God do that? Many times I've gone to prayer and not at me if you're a person that goes to God in prayer when things are difficult for you, right? We all do that. Even non-believers sometimes used to do that. When I, before I was a Christian, I used to say things like, God, this sucks, right? If you're real, make the lights go off right now, that type of stuff. <laughs> like we've all prayed prayers like that. And I've, I've gone to the Lord during worship. I put on music and I just listen. I, I, I'm like, God, I feel so thin and fragile. Would you help me? And worship sometimes help. I've done the disciplines of fasting and Sabbathing and all of these things. And God uses those things to strengthen me. But there's one often overlooked thing that God uses to bring strength to his people. Overlooked, and I would dare say underutilized for his people. And that's what I want to talk about today. And I'm going to tell you what it is right now. You can get up and leave if you want. It's this. Church. You should go to church. I've never been the guy to stand up and say, you need to be in church. You need to be in church. You need to be in church. You... Joe needs to be in church. I've never, ever really been that guy, but I'm beginning to understand there's a spiritual dynamic that happens when God's people gather together, where the gospel is proclaimed and the spirit is at work in our lives, that something happens to us in a spiritual way. And I don't, it's hard to even describe what this looks like because we're so used to testing things and, and seeing how they work. But in the spiritual realm, it's just difficult to put our, our fingers on. It's difficult to hold on to. But it doesn't mean it's any less true for us. It doesn't mean that. We have to remind ourselves that God is a spirit, that God is spiritual. And the way he works in his people oftentimes is in a spiritual way. There are many metaphors or parallels in our physical lives that we can see in the spiritual realm, but we still don't fully understand what it looks like. I sent my wife a meme this week. It said this, if I tell you I'm hungry, and I'm going to be a different person in 27 minutes if I don't eat. Okay? And we've all been in that place where we're just super hungry, like you're working in the yard, you're running, you're doing something, you're, I don't chores, I don't care what it is, and all of a sudden you just feel weak, lethargic, your mind's not going, right? So all you got to do is get to the break room, get to the breakfast table or something and eat something, and all of a sudden you feel strength come back to you. In the spiritual realm, it's like that too, and there are ways to be strengthened by God, and it's, it's through prayer, it's through fasting, it's through all those things, but the big one for me, guys, is you come to church and you be with God's people. I'm not trying to sell this on you. In fact, it's not my right to sell this. I don't have to convince you of this. The Lord will do that on his own. So I just want to walk through a couple of things in Scripture that I think point to this reality. I can stand up and give you my ideas, but who cares what I think, right, Chris? <laughs> Sorry. I'm back, baby. I'm back. So um, I want to read something from Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And uh, it's written by a man named the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul actually wrote those two other verses I mentioned to you. So he has this understanding of what it looks like for God to strengthen his people. He, he kind of gets to it. And to read all of uh, Paul's writings, you start to piece together what he's, what he's driving at. Um, 
Paul was a giant in the faith in the first century. He was brilliant, probably one of the smartest men among his contemporaries. He's an incredible theologian. Of the 27 New Testament books or letters that we have, Paul wrote 13 of them. He was a, a tenacious church planter. He worked diligently and hard, oftentimes would be in prison through persecution for his faith in Jesus Christ, and yet that never slowed him down. He was a big man in the faith. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so he's done a lot of things, and he's writing this letter to the church in Rome, um, and this is sort of his introduction. He says, hey, my name's Paul. You're who you are, and I want to say a couple things. Starting here in verse 8, I want you to read with me what he says. He says, first, I thank God my God, rather, through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit, with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may, I may now at least succeed in coming to you. He desires to go to the church in Rome. He says, for I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, gift to, here it is, to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. One more verse. He says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I have often intended to come to you, but I've been prevented from coming. And I wanted to come to you in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I just want you to see here that Paul's desire is to go to the church in Rome. It's a big desire of his. I think partly it's because he didn't establish the church in Rome, and he would like to meet some of the people who are part of it. And he wants to go there because he's hearing of the people's faith in Rome. Now, I don't know about you, but oftentimes when I read scripture, I sometimes interject myself into it, and I begin to wonder, I wonder what people would say about me. Like, they're talking about the people that go to the church in Rome and talking about their faith. If someone was to ask about me, would faith be the biggest thing they would talk about when they talk about Jeff? I wonder. Would faith be the biggest component in your life when your friends and family talk about you, and they do, just so you know, right? Is faith the biggest thing they talk about? This is not to bring shame or, or anything towards us, but I wonder about it. There was a time in my, my, when I was a young teenager, I was into BMX biking and racing. This is way back in the 80s, right? And that's all I could do. I traveled the country BMX racing. I wore clothes about BMX racing. I read magazines about BMX racing. If you, if you knew me, I was a BMXer, right? You didn't, everyone knew that. Right? It's because it's all of who I was. When I was in high school, it was music and college music. It was guitar and drums and bands and, and live music and shows and all kinds of stuff. And then I became a Christian and faith all of a sudden took prominence in my life. I wonder what people would say now about me. I wonder what they'd say is the biggest thing in your life. Eesh. Eesh. I don't know. Can we, can we admit there's something that God would probably like it to be? <laughs> we'll leave it there. He says, God is my witness in verse 9, whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. He's saying, I'm praying for you people all the time. I need you to see how important it is for Paul to go see his people in Rome, to go be with the church in Rome. Paul wants to gather with other believers in Rome. Why? 
Why? This isn't people he knows. This isn't people, he didn't send someone to start this church. He's heard of them, but he knows if he goes there, something can happen. And he says what it is here in verse 11 and 12, that I can come to you and part some spiritual gift to strengthen you. And that verse 12, that we might be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. There's something significant and spiritual that happens when God's people gather together. And Paul wants to participate in that. Now, make no mistake, Paul doesn't for an instant think that it's because of him that God's going to do something. He says, yes, I want to come that God may use me, verse 11, to impart some spiritual gift to you. But pick up those two words, spiritual gift. It is something that God is doing. It's, and he's using Paul to do it. All he's asking is that God would place him in that position, that God would use him to strengthen someone else. But it is God who's doing the work, okay? So let that just be some pressure off of you. Like, oh gosh, if I go to church, Jeff says, now I have to impart some special gift to people. No, you don't. (laughs) You just have to go and let God use you in whatever capacity or way God would deem necessary to strengthen somebody else. It's a spiritual thing that God himself is doing, and it's a gift. You know what gift means? It means you don't earn it. You don't buy it. It means it's free. It's, a, it's the, the word that is translated elsewhere as, as grace. It's given to you freely. So here's the beautiful thing, too. It also means that regardless of what you do on the weekends, <laughs> or how you lived your life last week, you're not disqualified to come to church and have God still strengthen you. So many of us feel like I have to do certain things or God will just turn his back on me, turn his shoulder to me because I didn't perform the right things. I didn't read my Bible last week. I didn't do all of these things or I did some really bad things last night or even on the way to church, I turned around and, well, you know what I'm saying. I did, I just did some bad things. And all of a sudden you're disqualified that God's gonna come along and go duck, 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 skip you, duck, duck, and, and grace everyone else but you. But that's not what Paul is saying. That the Holy Spirit would use people like you and like me, like Paul and like the others, and he would gift to people as he sees fit. And it's not determined on you. It's not determined by you. I know for many, that's a a big reason why they don't come to church sometimes, is they just feel like, uh, well, what's your friend say? What's your friend say when you invite him to church? Oh, if I go there, lightning will hit the building and the whole thing will burn down and I'll feel bad about it, <laughs> right? It's, I couldn't go there, right? All, as bad as I am or all the terrible things that I do. I'm like, dude, you don't even know what's going on in the lives of the other people sitting next to you. <laughs> like, we're all a mess. Someone say amen. amen, right? And God is bringing us through it in his son, Jesus. And he's strengthening us. And when we feel weak, thin, fragile, I'm telling you, the last place you need to be is home. (laughs) The last place you need to be is somewhere else. You need to come and gather with God's people and let God strengthen you. Isn't it nuts? So he longs to be with them. He wants to give them a spiritual gift, knowing that it comes from God himself, that it's free, it's unearned, 
And he also says in verse 12 that he wants to be mutually encouraged by them as well. I mentioned earlier that Paul is a giant in the faith. I mean, this guy's done so much. He walked with the resurrected Christ. Christ Jesus has taught him the things that he's teaching his other churches. He knows the church leader, James, in Jerusalem. He has had conversations and actually arguments with the apostle Peter about what church life is supposed to look like. This guy knows what's going on. He's planted churches. God has used him to perform miracles. He's raised someone from the dead and he could march into Rome in a church he hasn't established and say something like this. All right, boys, I'll take it from here. But he doesn't. With great humility and Christ-likeness, he knows when he comes to church, he's just like everyone else. Because he's just been saved like everyone else. It is by God's grace through faith. And he says, I would be used to strengthen you and that you might mutually strengthen me. Paul could just take over and he realizes that's the wrong idea. It also points to this reality And for some of you, this is going to be so encouraging. See, Paul's been a Christian for some time, doing great things, but the church in Rome has only been established for, I don't know, a few years or so. We would call these Christians young Christians. Do you know what I mean, my young Christian? Not young like me young, in physical age, haha, but young like only been a Christian for a few years, so to speak. And Paul is saying that even the young Christians can benefit him, the senior Christian, the big Christian right, varsity letter Christian. Think about that. Think about how God in his great wisdom decides to use all people to encourage one another. Here's what I know about young Christians. And if you're a young Christian in a room or maybe you're just one of those guys kind of thinking about chasing after Christ in the faith, I don't know. But know this, that God can use even young Christians to encourage older Christians. Young Christians are incredibly um, big on belief. Like if you, like a young Christian, like when they read it in the Bible, they believe it immediately. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? They don't, they're like, it's true. The Bible says it, it's gotta be true. They have huge believability. They believe in all of those things. Simply, they just believe. They are constantly brimming with excitement. You ever been around a young Christian? It's like a young puppy dog just running around, like excited about everything. Oh my gosh, I was reading my Bible the other day and it says something, something, Jesus, Jesus. You're like, slow down, bro. Like they're just excited about everything. I was praying for my boss at work and all of a sudden I got a raise. I was praying for this and that. All of a sudden this and that. They're like, 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 man, they're on like 11 at this point. Young Christians have a lot of excitement. They believe all things and they also are quick to tell other people of their faith. They boldly proclaim what they believe to be true. Young Christians are a wonderful asset to the church. When I was... Um, a young Christian, I was the hyperactive puppy dog kind of running around. You never believe what I saw in the Bible last week. And I'm sure my, my pastor was just exasperated every time I'd call him and tell him the new thing that I just learned about the Bible. He's like, whatever. And in fact, I've been around Christians who've said this before about the zeal, right, of young Christians. They said, well, just give it time. What a travesty. What a horrible thing to say. It's to say as if, um, well, they'll mature one day and then God can use them. What? This is, this is antithetical to what Paul is thinking. 
Paul's like, here it is, bro. I can't wait to get to Rome so that I can be used by God to strengthen you, but more importantly, so that you and your young faith and your, your bold declaration of who Christ is and all of that, so you can encourage me. If you'll be honest with yourself, there, there have been many a time you've had a conversation with a young Christian and you, you sort of wax nostalgic for the days when you used to be so zealous for the things of God too. And there's some, some part inside of you that wants it back. Some of you are here today. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. I'm, I'm glad the Lord would, would use words like this to encourage you that you can be strengthened and, and emboldened in everything. We know that real Christ-likeness is not becoming a spiritual elite, that somehow we just have to share with others the enlightenment that we have so that they can have it too. No, it's about humility. It's about knowing you're part of one big body, that even the youngest believers are participants in that. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, a couple things that I want to share with you here. He says that the, the church is like a body made up of many parts, and we talk about this oftentimes here in the church. But look what he says in Corinthians 12, verse 21. He says that the eye cannot say to the hand that I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet that I have no need of you either. Verse 26, if one member suffers, all the suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And he says, verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Paul, who wrote that and wrote the letter to Romans and the Philippians thing too, is he's understanding that all of us have this, this sort of part to play. And when, hear me when I say this, and when some people refuse, I don't, is that the right word? When some people choose not to come and participate, the body is hindered. I just want you to feel that. I just want you to know that. That when some people decide not to participate and, and to be used by God in a way that would edify and encourage the rest of the body, the, the body is limping around as if it doesn't have a leg or something. I'm, I'm not trying to oversell this to you. I want you to know, hear me when I say this, you're important. You're so important to what God is doing in the lives of the people in the row next to you. The people sitting behind you need you. We, the church, need you here. God has chosen this organism, the church, this living thing, to build and change the world. And for many of us, it's an extra. It's if I'm not busy, I'll go. If I, <laughs> what time's tea time again? Well, I could probably, nah, screw it. I'll go next week. My favorite is this, yeah, I'll just watch it online. Will you? Do you? If you're visiting, <laughs> this is probably like, what in the freak is going on here? <laughs> Old boy's flipped his lid, I think. 
<laughs> He's coming at me strong. I'm not, I promise. I just want you to see there's a spiritual dimension at work and you can put yourself in front of it and put yourself inside of it or not. Your choice. So Paul chooses to gather with his people. Verse 13, I want to go back to Romans chapter 1, verse 13. And uh, I've got a few more minutes here. Um, I want you to see this last thing. And this is where it might sting a little bit. And um, I want to say I don't care. I do care. But um, I, want to, I want you to know God cares a lot. So verse 13, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you. So I want you to know, as we've already read, Paul's been praying that God would open up a way for him to get there. I want to get there, I want to get there, I want to get there, I want to get there. It is very important for him. Is it for us? It's very important that he go. But he's been prevented. Now, I love this, that Paul doesn't mention what is preventing him from coming. You could sur surmise that he's a super busy individual, right? He's a church planter, apostle extraordinaire, right? he's a theologian, he's writing parts of the Bible, he's rebuking people, teaching over here, he's doing all kinds of things. It's possible he was just really tied up and busy with his life leading these other churches. It's possible he didn't have the funds to go, the resources to go. It's possible he was sick. The, the theologians and scholars believe that, that Paul had maybe a, an illness that he was battling with. There's a, a number of different things that are preventing him from coming. He never mentions what they are. But I need you to see this, but he desired to go. I'm tell you, if funds were the issue and he had the funds, he'd go. If he was well enough to go, he'd go. If it wasn't persecution holding him back, if he wasn't imprisoned or whatever, he'd go. He makes every effort to go. And I wonder if we do. I wonder if we do. If we don't have the same heart for the church that he did. It is not my desire to fill the seats in this room. It's, that's not it. Um, God does that, <laughs> right? <laughs> he does that. My, my desire, hear me, pastorally comes from this position. I've talked to many people over the past many months, and I mean this sincerely, many people who I have seen are frazzled, are struggling in life, are, um, again, to reuse my words, feeling thin, fragile, and these are the same people that I don't see every week at church. I, I want to say, <laughs> well, dummy, I'm out of time. I have 100 things I want to say. Can I say this to you? Um, I leave next week for my sabbatical. I'll be gone for 12 weeks. I'm not coming to this church for 12 weeks. I'm terrified. I'm so connected to you. I've seen God use you in my life. I've seen God use me to strengthen you. And for the next 12 weeks, I'm terrified. What is my... What's going to happen to me? I'm going to try to visit other churches, but you know what it's like visiting churches. You just like critique their furniture and their carpet choice. <laughs> Isn't that right? Like, oh, that worship band's terrible. <laughs> Is that what it's like? Oh, my. I so, so believe this to be true. 
Um, God wants us to come together to be strengthened. Uh, I want to close with this last story. Um, in, in 2007, uh, this is a, you know, go on the way back bus with me. In 2007, I had already felt the call to plant a church. Renaissance wasn't quite started yet, but I knew we were going to plant it. Um, we were making head, head, um, headway into that, growing a team and this and that. And out of nowhere in the summer of 2007, I started having panic attacks again. If you know my story, I used to deal with panic attacks and anxiety when I was in college. And I became a Christian after college and uh, hadn't struggled with anxiety. And I was like, yay, Christ is the healer. He can correct me and fix my panic and anxiety and this and that. And I mean legit, out of nowhere, panic consumed me. In the summer of 2007, I lost 20 plus pounds in about four and a half weeks. I couldn't sleep, I couldn't eat. It was terrible. I had two young children at home who were running around like those really zealous puppy dog, you know, just driving me nuts, like loving to jump out. Hey, boo, dad, and I'm going, ah, freaking out, having panic attacks because my kids are scaring me in the house. One night after um, not sleeping, but maybe a half an hour, I got up with my wife and the family, went to church, and I walked into the building of the church and a, uh, do I have permission to cry? <laughs> I could use it. I walked in the front door of the church and a man met me, he says, Jeff, I have no idea what's going on in your life right now, but at three in the morning, the Lord woke me up. <laughs> I've been praying for you. I was praying that you would come and I was praying that I would get to tell you that God is thinking about you. Ooh. Now, as you can uh, um, imagine, I still battle anxiety. <laughs> I'm dealing with it now. I have uh, all kinds of issues that I'm working through. But that day, I've never felt more strong. But that day, I felt God touch me. We need to go to the Lord in prayer. We need to worship him. We need to study our Bibles. Hear me, you are not called to read your Bible. You are called to study it. <laughs> Stop playing around. Study it. Know who God is, right? Those things help us. But the easiest one, I would argue, is to come to church. So why don't you? Why don't you? Lord, I pray in, in the name of Jesus Christ, there'd be no condemnation. There'd be no shame here. There's no, there's no angry God in heaven who's frustrated that his people won't come to church. That's not what's happening. 
God, what we need to hear is that there's a real benefit to coming and gathering with other believers. There's a real benefit with gathering and worshiping and giving glory to God. When we do it together, there's a real benefit to coming to church and hearing the truth presented, the gospel proclaimed, Jesus to be lauded, and all those things, and we do so together. God, there's a benefit to us that you might use the youngest and the oldest Christians to pray for and to encourage one another. God, it is a spiritual gift. It is a spiritual thing that you do, and if we do not put ourselves in front of it, we cannot receive it. It is akin to walking past the buffet at grandma's house on Thanksgiving and not stopping to eat and then complaining that you're hungry. God, thank you that we can gather together. Thank you for the freedoms Right, that we get to do this as we celebrate even our independence and our liberties and our freedoms today. Thank you that we get to choose what we do. But help us to be people like Joshua. If you know the story of Joshua in the Old Testament, he led his people through many things and he, he challenged God's people one day to choose to follow the Lord or don't. But you need to make a decision, he says. As for me, Joshua said, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Maybe today is a day of decision-making for us, God. Maybe today is a day we have to say, I'm committing to you again. Anyways, I love you guys. I'll see you in about six weeks, 12 weeks. I don't know when it'll be. So anyways, God bless all of you. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you.